Friends, as we prepare our hearts and minds for God's word proclaimed, read and proclaimed, let us first turn our hearts together in prayer. Surely each day we are aware of your blessing, O God, but may we be aware today and in this moment as leaves change, as the air cools, as we revel in the blessings you have given us in the past, present, and will give us in the future. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, be in this place. For if you are not, then nothing else matters. And if you are, then nothing else matters. And let God's people together say, Amen. Hear these words from the prophet Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Our second reading today comes from the Gospel according to John. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of years ago, there was an article in the New York Times that has stuck with me. It was called The Darkness Where the Future Should Be. And it reflects on what we could call a hope deficit, that more and more people look to the future with a sense of fear and foreboding. 
And there are signs of this creeping doom everywhere. We see it in rising suicide rates and falling birth rates, anxiety in teenagers, depression in millennials, drug addiction in baby boomers, majorities of adults thinking life was better 50 years ago than it is today. What happens to a society that loses its capacity for awe and wonder at what is to come? What happens to a people without a future? Now, that question is, is hanging in the background in our reading from Jeremiah today. Jerusalem had fallen and all the best and brightest in Israel had been dragged off into exile in Babylon. And when Jerusalem fell, the people lost not only their home, lost not only their freedom, but they also lost their temple. They lost their religion. Some even said they lost their God. They lost everything. Strangers in a strange land and faraway Babylon, the people didn't know how to face the future. Some held on to a false hope that everything was going to magically, miraculously, suddenly get better. And you can be sure there were prophets around, prophets who drew big crowds repeating the claim that that God was going to make things right soon, so don't even bother unpacking your bags. Others, instead of this false hope, others gave in to despair, thinking that they had been abandoned and forgotten. And our reading from Jeremiah today is part of a letter that the prophet wrote to the people in exile and speaking on behalf of God, thus says the Lord, Jeremiah says that the people must resist both false hope and despair. That false hope is just that, false. And the prophet's telling them everything's going to be fixed tomorrow. God says, I did not send them, do not listen to them. The people are going to be there a while, so they need to unpack their bags and start making a life for themselves. But the temptation to despair is also false. God has not abandoned them. God is at work in their lives just as much now as when they were sitting in the glittering temple in Jerusalem, maybe even more, because God is doing something new, molding and shaping and refining, creating a new future and creating a people that are able to receive that future. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. You don't have to work too hard to see the lines of connection between this story and the story of the church at large. The world has shifted under our feet Culture has changed, priorities have been shuffled around, old patterns have given way to new patterns. This didn't start under COVID, but COVID certainly accelerated trends that were already in place. We're not in Kansas anymore. Even Kansas isn't in Kansas anymore. The mainline church is now the sideline church. We're strangers in a strange land. So Jeremiah's word to the exiles is a word for us too. So first, he says, don't put your heads in the sand. Things aren't going back to normal. People have joked, if the 1950s ever return, the church will be ready. We need to unpack our bags, try to connect with the world as it is instead of pining for the world as it was. 
but also never give in to the temptation of hopelessness. Always know that God is creating something new, something good, something generous in your midst. A generous future. That's what God promises. Not a fearful future, not a cramped and meager future, but a generous future. And I'm happy to say that we already see signs of that generous future here at First Presbyterian Church in Hickory, North Carolina. Think about just our recent history already in new worship services and new engagements with technology and new mission opportunities. This congregation has tried to find the new thing God is doing and lean into it. And we have been blessed with thoughtful and faithful leadership, I mean before me, and with people that are generous, people generous with their time. Time is so incredibly precious. It is the currency of our lives. And for people to give an hour or two a week, that is no small thing. People are generous with their time and with their money and with their hearts. And so this has continued to be a place where, where welcome and joy swirl in the air and more and more people get caught up in it. We are blessed here. But the future comes at us fast, and it's worth asking, what stands in the way of us fully embracing the generous future God is creating? I think we may get a surprising hint in our reading from the gospel according to John. I'm focused especially on verse 16, from Christ's fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That is such a well-known and beloved text. I bet a few of you memorized that text when you were kids. Grace upon grace. It's this beautiful image of grace like a fountain, like, like a river, like rain, just constantly flowing through our lives, a, a never-ending stream. I love that image, and I think it's true. But that may not be what this verse from John is actually saying. I was at a conference in Montreat a few weeks ago, and the preacher there, Amos de Sasa, opened my eyes to a quirk in the way we translate this text. Any of you who've worked with languages before will know this, but prepositions are funny, slippery words. They don't always have a stable, fixed meaning, and translators often have to fudge prepositions to make the translation sound good. So the word for upon in this verse, grace upon grace, the Greek preposition there is probably better translated as instead of or in place of. So arguably this verse should be read, from Christ's fullness we have all received grace instead of grace. Now I know that may sound like a typo, but it does open up an interesting possibility. Grace upon grace suggests that grace is always and ever only one thing, always the same, just a constant, unchanging flow, just one box of grace heaped upon another, just pick one, they're all the same. But what if it's grace instead of grace? What if we have grace for yesterday and then instead grace for today? What if each day has its own distinct grace? Well, that read changes things. Yesterday's grace 
was grace and it was good and we should always and ever celebrate it and be grateful for it. But it may not be the grace we need for today. And so maybe the challenge we face as a church, the challenge every church faces, is both celebrating yesterday's grace and making room for today's grace. Let's be honest, we prefer yesterday's grace. We've smoothed out all the rough edges. It's like a photo where we've applied all the right filters. We've made our peace with yesterday's grace, brushed it up, domesticated it. It's comfortable. It's like a warm blanket we can wrap around ourselves. Yesterday's grace was good, and we are grateful. But it may not be sufficient for today. Today's grace is rough around the edges. We don't quite know where it's taking us yet. It's unpredictable, a little unsettling. And so it's tempting to stick with yesterday's grace. I mean, why watch a new show on Netflix when we can just re-watch the same familiar show we already know? Sometimes the church gets stuck in holy reruns. But our tradition, maybe more than any other, should resist that temptation. As you know, today is Reformation Sunday, and the commitment of the Reformed tradition is to being the church reformed, always being reformed. Our tradition is committed to celebrating yesterday's grace, yes, but always remaining open to the fresh winds of the Spirit, to the new thing that God is doing, to today's grace. And you know, it's easy to forget that yesterday's grace was once today's grace. What we take as comfortable and settled from yesterday was once prickly and unsettled and new. The whole Reformation, which looks to us like a historical curiosity with kilts and bagpipes, was at the time a tumultuous revolution. Our denomination, our commitment to the ordination of women, for example, we take it for granted. But it was a new and radical thing when we took that step back in 1956. What seems like yesterday's settled grace was once today's unsettling grace. Our support for Exodus Homes, which provides housing and work for homeless people transitioning from treatment programs in prison, that seems like such a settled bit of grace from yesterday. But 30 years ago, there was great resistance. People didn't want that kind of ministry in their backyard, and it was this congregation and the faithful leadership of Wallace Johnson that turned the tide in support of that ministry. What we take for granted as settled grace, yesterday's grace, was once fresh and new and unsettled, and it took faith and hope and no small amount of courage to receive it and act on it. Now, I don't know exactly what today's grace means for us. We've got to do the same hard work every church is doing, faithfully discerning the new thing God is up to in our midst. But I do know this. God has promised us a generous future. We can already see sparks of that future lighting up all around us. And we are grateful for yesterday's grace. We are deeply, deeply grateful. But we are called to take risks in the name of today's grace. 
wherever that may lead. You know, on Thursday, I went with a friend to a beautiful spot here in Hickory to look at the changing leaves. And it really was stunningly just breathtaking. Well, there's the photo, a photo that was taken there. Although that, that dimension's kind of cut out a lot of the, a lot of the tree leaves. Anyway, uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful view. It was healing for my soul. We all need that kind of beauty in our lives. But you know, you know what makes that beauty possible? It's the leaves slowly letting go. It's the leaves releasing yesterday's grace, releasing it with shining joy to make room for today's grace and tomorrow's grace. May we be like the leaves. May we celebrate yesterday's grace with shining joy. And may we make room for today's grace, for the new thing, the generous future God is creating among us. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen.